And I'm a little bit nervous now about preaching. I preached here last year, and I don't know what I preached on when I was here. And I may repeat a sermon. And I should have asked the pastor. He don't know either, but his wife said she knew. You don't need to find out. Sit down. You make me nervous moving around. <laughs> it won't hurt anyway. Uh, an advertising agent said you have to hear something 17 times before it registers anyway. It always bugged me in my church to, to preach a sermon. And somebody said, boy, I'm glad you explained that. And I want to say I've I preached only 18 or 20 times. You just now got it. How dumb. How dumb. But I share a verse out of Acts chapter 20, verse 24. An unbelievable verse, really, but it's a true verse because all the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. Revelation is the act of God revealing Bible truths to Bible writers. When we, when we read the Bible, we do not get a revelation. We sometimes say, God reveals so-and-so to me. I don't know what you mean, but really, you don't get a revelation. The Bible is a closed revelation. There'll be no more revelation. This is it. If we got new revelation all the time, we'd be preaching new truths all the time. We'd never be settled on anything. And that's one reason I'm against the charismatic movement speaking in tongues, because when they speak in tongues and somebody interprets, they always say, Thus saith the Lord, as if that's a new message from God that's not written in the Bible. And you're not to add to the Bible. Don't turn me down. I need a little volume up here tonight on this little neck mic. So revelation is the act of God revealing the Bible truths to writers. Inspiration is the act of God the Holy Spirit choosing perfect words to match the truths so when the truths are pinned down they lost nothing in their writing. And, and illumination is God shining the light on the revelation that was pinned down by inspiration as you read the book. So I don't have a new revelation tonight but in case you run across something you had not seen before. And I share a thought with you tonight from the life of the Apostle Paul. I would like to read the entire chapter but it won't take time. Verse 24 of Acts 20 Paul simply says but none of these things moved me, neither can I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now Paul doesn't say this boasting. He says it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, none of these things move me. And I'm tempted now just to stop and say, what things? Whatever came in his life, nothing caused him to move. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to say at the end of your life? I was saved when I was 11 years old. I'm 58 years old. That's been 47 years ago. Suppose I'll have 10 more years, 20 more years. I'd like to be able to say at the end of my life, I've served the Lord now 58, 68 years. I never moved. Nothing moved me. None of the things that came into my life caused me to move. There's so much to preach on here. Number one, Paul would not be removed from his purpose in verse 24. He said, I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which was given me of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. He was not moved from his purpose. He said, I'm staying right here. I'm staying right here. I'm staying right here. He's like the guy. He kept playing the same note over and over and over in the band. And finally the band leader stopped. He looked at the fellow and said, What are you doing? He said, You keep playing the same note over and over and over and over. He said, Nothing's wrong with me. He said, The problem is these other fellows. He said, They're all looking for the right note. But he said, I found it and kept playing the same note over and over and over. Well, Paul found the right note and his note was to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Don't you like that expression? And he wouldn't be moved with it. He just stayed with it and stayed with it. He would not be removed or moved from his preaching. In verse 27, he said, I have not 
shun to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He would not be removed from his personal soul winning. In verse 26 he said, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Nobody could say you didn't tell me how to be saved. My blood is at your hand. No, if he didn't get saved, it wasn't because Paul didn't tell you how. He said, I told you how. I'm pure from the blood of all men. Nobody's blood's going to be on my hand. I've given you the gospel. Then he wouldn't be removed from his program in verse 20. He said, from house to house, and, and so on. He had a program about it. I just looked through this chapter here, and as many other things I could say. <clears throat> Tad more volume on this mic. There were several things he wouldn't be, that did not move him. Number one, he would not be removed. The tears did not move him in verse 19. He talks in verse 19 quickly, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears. Notice, not a few tears, many tears. I've had my tears. You've had your tears. You've had your sorrows. You've had things come in your life you thought would crush you. And many, many times people quit serving God when sorrow comes, when tears come. I remember a lady in my church. I will not give her name, and the folk here would not know her because we had 8,000 members, but a dear lady came and came pretty regularly and pretty faithfully. And her mother died what she thought was an unexpected death, an untimely death. And she never came back to church. I went to see the lady. I said, we miss you. I want you back in church. She said, I'll never be back. She was very, very bitter. said, I don't ever intend to go back to church. She said, God can do anything, and he could have let my mother live, and he let my mother die, and a God that would do that, I'll never intend to serve him again, go to church again. Sorrow sometimes causes people to drop out of church, quit serving the Lord, quit giving, quit winning souls. But tears did not move Paul. He says he had many tears, but he kept on going. Don't you appreciate a guy like that? One of Andrew Jackson's friends said, I could throw Andrew nine times out of ten, but he wouldn't stay thrown. He just kept getting up and kept getting up and kept getting up. Don't you like the Christian that'll do that? Little boy had a horse one time, and he's sort of a plug horse. He's brushing it down. The fellow came by and said, and said, he said, can that horse run fast? He said, no, sir, but he can stand fast. You know, I'd rather have one that can stand fast than have one that can run fast. I like a guy this year, this year, and next year, and ten years from now, and twenty years from now, and on his walking cane and ready for the graveyard, but he's still serving God, still tithing, still singing in the choir, still going to church. Nothing moves him. Don't you like a guy like that? And doesn't it hurt your heart to see empty places in this church where people used to sit and shout and sing and pray? And how many folks have been won to Christ through this church? If they were all in this building tonight, you couldn't get them in the building. You couldn't get them on the parking lot. Of all the folks been saved in this place, I came here one time years ago to hear Dr. Oliver B. Green preach in this pulpit right here. The only time I've ever heard Oliver B. Green preach in person. I'll never forget it. He looked hollow-eyed that night and put on his uh, raincoat after he got through preaching called the London Fog Coat. And I thought of all the people that have preached here, the folks that have been saved here, what happened to these folks? You say they weren't really saved. Well, if they trusted Christ as Savior, they're saved, but something happened to them. They fell by the wayside. They're still going to heaven, but they don't go to church. They don't serve God. They don't tithe. What if they tithe in the offering plate every Sunday? You'd have to have warrants to, to take the money up in. You know, it's amazing to me that the church does as well as it does with so few of its people attending. There's not a business in the city of Athens that would operate tomorrow and open its doors if it had the same percentage of absentees that every church had last Sunday. 
There's not a school in our state that would open doors next spring if they had the same percentage of absentees that every church has every single Sunday. You know I'm telling you the truth. Why should I bend my ear? Don't look at me like that. I had 8,000 members and I built an auditorium seat 2,563. Why didn't I build an auditorium seat 8,000 members? Because I knew that 5,000 of them were never coming. We had, we had more out, we had two-thirds, we had twice as many out every Sunday as we did in the pews on Sunday morning. And yet the church keeps going on and keeps going on and going on. You know what? I like people when they take that thing up for God and say, I'm going to serve God, that you stay with it and stay with it and never quit. Tears did not move Paul. He had his sorrows too. I know a preacher. He used to preach the gospel. And sorrow came to his life and he laid his Bible down and never preaches the gospel now. Someone asked him not too long ago to perform a wedding for them. And he said, I don't do that anymore. I'm through with that. I don't do that anymore. And it hurts my heart to see men and women too. When sorrow comes, lay the Bible aside, quit going to jail. That's when you really need to stay in there, man. We used to have a say when I was a boy, when the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that's it. You stay in there. I learned one thing at the post office. The postage stamp is a success because it sticks to one thing. You'll get that tomorrow by afraid it'll slip up on you. And then temptation did not move Paul. That is trials, solicitations, the evil, and tests. Same thing in verse 19. Serving God with many tears and temptations. Many trials. We have our little old trials and little old burdens. Boy, I hope I don't have to stand near Paul at the judgment seat of Christ. I hope I'm way, way back in the line away from him. When I look at all he's gone through with, and the Lord said, what did you go through with, Curtis? I said, well, I had, this, I had a nice holiday in to sleep in in Athens. And folks gave me plenty of food to eat. I was on a diet. They fixed me special food. And they were nice to me. And, and, and another place I went, they, they put me up in the Ramada Inn. And uh, I got a little ink on my fingers one time doing the bulletin at the church. Boy, when Paul pulls his coat back, he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll show you that in a moment. This is all introduction. I'll get to the sermon in a few minutes. It's verse 24, but it's all introduction. Tears didn't move him. Temptation didn't move him. Opposition did not move him. In the latter part of verse 19, he said, uh, Temptation which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. You know what that means? That means the Jews would lie, would lie and wait for Paul. They would hide out, like one would hide under the piano down here, waiting for Paul to come by to shoot him or kill him or stab him or something. Every time he went anywhere, the Jews were lying and wait to kill him. Can you imagine coming to church and folks hiding behind the bushes, behind the car, on top of the building? Up on top of your house, when you come out the door to drop a rock on your head? Well, in one city they had to let Paul down a wall in a basket for him to get away. He's the world's first basket case. But he escaped. And I see these preachers now, the first time they have a deacon's meeting, somebody don't vote 100% what they want. Well, I'm leaving. I feel led to go somewhere else. Little old burdens and trials come. We quit so easy. I know ladies go to church, then we call them to sing at the right time. They won't ever go back. No men the same way. We are so sensitive and so selfish and self-centered. Well, if we had the burdens and trials that Paul had, he said, many tears and many temptations, and the Jews lying in wait for me everywhere I went. They're hiding out to kill me. But he said, none of this moved me. I just kept going on and going on and going on. Don't you like that? You'll notice something else. 
in verse uh, 4, or verse 22 and 23, future danger did not move Paul. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I don't know what's going to befall me there, but I'm going anyway. I don't know what they're going to do when I get to Jerusalem, but I'm going anyway. Future danger did not cause Paul to quit. He would not be moved. Disappointment in people did not move Paul. Did you ever see some preacher fall and then a lot of Christians sort of back off and quit going to church because some preacher messed up? That's really sad. When Peter said, I go fishing in John chapter 21, seven other preachers said, we're going with you. Seven people followed preacher Peter in his backsliding in John chapter 21. You never backslide by yourself. You never get away from God by yourself because you always influence somebody else that'll follow you and that's the dangerous thing about getting away from God. I'd serve God if I didn't want to for the sake of those who may be watching my life and my own kids' sake and my nine grandchildren's sake. I, I'd serve God anyway. I don't go to church because it feels good and go to church because I ought to and then I feel good because I did what I ought to do. Don't you see that? That's easy. I'll tell you something else didn't, didn't move Paul. The, the, the prosperity of other people did not move him. In verse 33, he said, I coveted no man's silver or gold. Sometimes preachers say, well, they don't pay me enough. I know another preacher. They paid him three times what they pay me. And they gave him a new car every two years. And they gave him a new house. And they gave him this and gave him that. Paul said, I, the prosperity of others, I didn't covet that. I didn't want that. But I know preachers trying to quit because they feel like nobody loves me. Nobody will give me anything. I'm a poor preacher. I heard of a guy who went to the barber one time to get a haircut, and, 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 and the barber cut his hair back when, when haircuts were 25 cents or two bits, they call it. And the barber said to him, said, Oh, don't pay me. I'll just come here you preach sometime. And the preacher said, I want you to know I don't have any 25 cent sermon. He said, In that case, I'll come here you twice. Sometimes we think too much of ourselves. None of these things move on. Turn quickly with me before I get to this sermon to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's look at a few verses. I want you to see some things Paul went through with in his life. And he's not boasting, but I want you to see some things he went through with. And you won't believe some things he went through with. And verse 24, you got it? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, 24. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Do you see that in your Bible? Watch. Paul said of the Jews, they must have caught him several times. They was lying in wait for him. At least five times they caught him and scourged him. He had 39 stripes or lashes across his back. The Lord went through that one time. Paul went through that five times. Now, we talk about a cat of nine tails. Sometimes they had seven lashes on them or seven tails, and sometimes they had as few as five lashes on them. So you don't think I'm exaggerating. I'm going to take the lowest figure, and I'm going to say the one they were Paul with only had five lashes on it. In the end of each one of those lashes was a little fish-hook-like object made of stone or metal or glass. And when they had hit a guy with that whip, those things would sink into his flesh. And when you get a fish-hook in your flesh, you can't put it back out. Because when you go to put it out, it tears, it cuts again. And it was designed to do that. And when it hit the scourging victim of that thing and pulled it like that, it was like taking a knife and ripping across a man's back five times. Now you multiply five times 39, you got 195 furrows plowed through a man's back after one scourging. Josephus, who was not a Christian but an early historian, said the scourging victim often stood in a pool of blood with his inner organs lying at his feet. And very few survived the scourging. 
Paul went through that not once, not twice, not three times, not four times. Five times he went through that. Little bitty fellow. How in the world he survived it, I do not know. But you know what he said? None of these things move me. If I went through that about two times, I'd have said, I'm out of God's will. Some, some, I, I'm moving to another place. I'm turning Presbyterian. <laughs> I'm turning Lutheran. I'm turning Catholic. I'm through with this business here, man. Been beat to death five times. You multiply 195 times five and see how many little furrows he had across his back. No wonder he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I, I imagine if you opened up Paul's coat and just touched him anywhere, you'd touch a scar. Five times he had that. Now look at verse 25. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Three times beaten with rods. When you talk about a rod, you're not talking about something like a limb off of a peach tree. You're talking about a stiff and flexible object like this microphone. Three times he's beaten with a rod. How many men here ever, ever have a back pain occasionally? Don't lie about it. Raise your hand. Your back hurts a little bit sometimes. Raise your hand. Every man here. Every man here. Your back, and some women's back hurts, but they have more nerve problems than do back problems. <laughs> but anyway, every man's back hurts him. All the, every once in a while it'll hurt. Can you imagine how you're back or if somebody took a stiff rod and beat you three times with a rod, a stiff rod across your back? He must have ached in his back all the time, scarred all over, tears all the time, Jews lying in wait to kill him. But he said, none of these things move me. If I wasn't so dignified, I'd shout. To think there's at least one person in the world that lived that, that wouldn't let nothing stop him. But go on, look what he says in verse 25. Once I was stoned. Didn't mean he got drunk now. That meant he was stoned and left outside the city of Lystra for dead. You know what that means? That means a mob called and said, This is the guy preaching salvation by grace. This is the guy here. We want to kill him. Get your rocks and get your stones. Let's get it. They begin to throw stones at Paul. And one stone after the other, panel on his body till he fell down, and they hit him a few times after he was down with stones. And he said, Did you see the stoning and the kicking of that truck driver in Los Angeles on television? Did you see that? Did that make you sick at your stomach to see somebody throw a stone into the side of that guy's head and crush his face all up? I couldn't hardly look at it. I didn't want to cover my face up to see that. And kick the guy when he hadn't done a thing in the world, said, so Just drive through there, pull him out of his truck, stone him, attempted to kill the guy. That's nothing to bear what Paul went through. Because the mob stood there and kept throwing stone after stone and checked him out, and the Bible said they left him for dead. Which means they all agreed he was dead, and I think he was dead. And I think he referred to himself in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, when he said, I know a man about 14 years ago, because if you trace back 14 years prior to that, he was at Lystra being stoned. He said, well, the end of the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. They actually stoned him to death. But God wasn't through with Paul, so he resurrected him and said, go on and write the rest of the books I want you to write. Keep reading. It gets worse for him. Keep reading down through here. He said, thrice I suffered shipwreck and a, a night and a day. I have been in the deep. Three times he was in a ship and the ship went down. Do you remember in Romans chapter 1, if you ever read Romans chapter 1, Paul said, that, that he prayed, if by any means, now at length, 
I might have a prosperous journey to come unto you that are at Rome, for I long to see you that I might impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it's the power of God unto salvation, and so on and so on. But you, you notice this prayer? He prayed it by any means now at length. I might have a prosperous journey to come to you that are at Rome. If he should have specified the means. Because if you found out how he went there, he went there on board a ship as a prisoner, manacled, with his hands together and his feet together on board a ship. And he advised not to sail because the storm was going to sink the ship and they wouldn't believe him. And they threw everything overboard and the storm came up so bad the whole ship went down and wasn't anything left at all. And the Bible said some swam to shore and others floated to shore on board. Only time the word boards is mentioned in the New Testament. Can you imagine a guy going to Rome to preach the gospel on board a ship as a prisoner and the ship goes down and his hands are tied, his feet are tied, and he's trying to swim to shore? But he said, none of these things move me. He's cold and he's wet and he don't have an assistant pastor, a youth director, a choir leader. He has to gather his own sticks to build his own fire to warm out and thaw out and dry up. And while he's gathering sticks up to build a fire, what do you reckon happens? A snake comes out of the stick and bites him. I said, Lord, I know I'm out of God's will. God's trying to tell me something. That snake represents the devil. You don't need a snake bite. All you need is one deacon. Look at you cross out if you run 40 miles. Anybody know a church you'd recommend me to? I can't take this place anymore over here. What if you had a snake bite? You would have quit a long time ago. But a snake bit him. You know what he did? He shook it off in the fire and just kept on by the business. What a man he was. Hallelujah. But keep reading it. In journeyings often. He had to move around a lot. And he didn't have no Lincoln town car to drive either with air conditioning and a telephone radio in it. And watch it. In perils of the deep. I can't see this. In perils of robbers. Robbers asked him all the time. I don't know what they want to get off of him. Didn't have anything. In perils by my own countrymen. You know, it's bad when the enemy's at you, when, but when your own folks try to get you, that, that's bad, sure enough. When I was in Atlanta, Georgia, you know, I didn't mind the devil's crowd cussing men, discussing men, criticizing me. But when the church began to grow, and we had 100 baptisms in a year, and 200, and 700, and 800, and I had 3,000 in Sunday school, and began to run buses around town, even the preachers in Atlanta got to criticize me. I, that hurt me. I heard preachers say, well, I wonder how many of those people are really saved. And you've got to help me. I don't know the difference between being saved and really saved. I thought saved was saved. I know it's saved and really saved, sure enough saved, and hallelujah, glory bound saved. I thought you're saved and lost. You know. That's like going to the funeral home and saying, that guy in that box is dead. And this old boy in this other box, he is really dead. This boy is They're both in the same shape, dead. There's no such thing as dead, deader and deadest. And there's no such thing as saved, saved there and saved this, as you're saved. And I got to discourage B.R. Lakin came to that. I said, Dr. Lakin, I, I said, even I said the preachers are attacking me, and the preachers are questioning my convert, and the preachers instead of rejoicing with me are criticizing me. And Dr. Lakin said, Son, don't worry about it. I said, as long as they're kicking you in the rear, you know you still got to leave. <laughs> and I said, Whoopee, let them kick. He's perils of his own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in dangers everywhere he went, in perils in the wilderness, 
in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness. I can't go to church. My head hurts. Monday morning, all well, ready to go to work. I can't go to the meeting we're having this week. I got backache. Monday morning, back with her, off to work. Don't look at me like that. I'm telling you the truth. If you don't want to go to church, one excuse is as good as the other. One guy was invited to go to church out in Oklahoma. He said, I can't go to church. that I got a quart of milk in my refrigerator. And the guy said, you what? said, I got a quart of milk in the refrigerator. He said, what's that got to do with going to church? He said, nothing. But if you don't want to go to church, he said, one excuse is as good as the other. And he's right about it. I've heard some, I've heard this excuse just that dumb. I've heard people saying, I can go in the daytime, but I can't go at night. That old night air, that night air is bad. It'll get you. <laughs> Got me afraid to go out at night. I was afraid that night air might just <clears throat> grab me and choke me to death. It's the same air at night as in the daytime. I'm only a lot fresher because I'm in mean, the cars running. <laughs> that old night air, oh, don't get, honey, don't stick your head out of that night air. I'll grab me and choke you to death. You better stay out at night air. What dumb excuses we use. But keep watching. Beside, he goes on and says, uh, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often. This fasting was not a, not a chosen fast. It was a fast he couldn't have anything to eat. Hungry, nothing to eat. Now he goes through all of that, and in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me. Wouldn't you hate to have to stand in heaven next to the Apostle Paul to the judgment seat of Christ and know how wishy-washy we were and in and out and spasmodic about our serving Christ and know he just stayed with it and 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 stayed with it. You know what we need? We need some bulldog Christians. We've got too many French poodles. I heard of a guy one time had a dog. Probably a pastor told you all these. But maybe he had. Maybe he forgot some of them. And so the dog could, could whip any dog in town. In fact, he's sickened on about every dog in town, and it killed every dog in town nearly about. So this boy said, I know a little dog your dog can't whip. He said, go get him. So he came with a friend, had a little bitty white dog, little short legs, little bobtail. And he sticked this big old pit bulldog on that little white dog. And that white dog opened his mouth and swallowed the pit bulldog in one bite, left the boy holding the chain in his hand. He wanted to cry, but he missed his dog. So choking back the tears, he said, What kind of dog is that little old white dog? The boy said, I don't know what kind of dog he is. Before I cut his tail off and paint him white, he was an alligator. <laughs> now, we need some alligator Christians, don't you think? We got too many little, little poodle Christians, at least little thing comes on, we quit and give up. Now, that's all introduction. Here's my sermon. This text gives us three insights into Paul's life. Three things that kept him from being moved. He just stayed with it. And stayed with it. I'd like, like to have men in our sword conferences like Dr. Harold Seitler, who's through the years started off as a pioneer independent Baptist in Greenville, South Carolina, and still going. And still going. I got criticized by some younger preachers this week by saying, well, he's having those old men up there. He ought to have some younger men. I got young men coming too, some in their 30s. But I feel these old men had stood by the book and stood by the book and stayed by the book and, and helped pioneer the independent Baptist movement to just push them aside. I don't think the right thing. So I've got a hair Sattler coming. He invited Dr. Robinson. He could not come. Dr. Tomlin said, Dr. Malone, what's he doing? 
He's done an awful lot to build Midwestern Baptist schools, build Point, uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church, Point, Michigan. I like these guys just stayed with it. I like to be around them. I, just, I like to put my arm around them, hold hands, shake hands. Good to see you, Dr. Seidler. I'll tell you one thing. If you don't want to shout, you don't want to hear Dr. Seidler preach because you'll shout if you're not careful. You won't even mean to, you'll shout. You'll be like the young boy was. He used to shout a good bit in church and holler, Amen. In fact, so much he interrupted the service. And the preacher said to the boy, Now, there's a certain pair of boots in town the boy had been wanting. And the preacher said, If you won't shout during this meeting, we've got a special meeting. If you won't shout during this meeting, he said, I'll buy that new set of boots. The boy said, All right, I'll keep my lips zipped. He sat on the front row. And the preacher got to preaching, preached so wonderful, talked about Jesus. The little guy said, Oh, he held it back. He wanted to shout so bad. The preacher got to preaching, told some good things about Jesus, and he held it back again. And finally he jumped up and he said, Boots or no boots, amen! <laughs> and when you hear Dr. Seitler preach, it'll be boots or no boots, I'll guarantee you. you want to hear it. What kept Paul in that? Three things in the text I want to share with you. Watch what it says. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which was given me of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Three things. Number one, my life. My life. My life. I can only say that about one life. That's this one. I have four children. I wish I could say their life. I can't say that. I can say my life. Paul couldn't say Timothy's life. Only one life he can answer to God for, his life. Somebody wisely said, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. You can do, you can do anything you want to with your life. God, God made you a free moral agent. You can choose to go to church and serve God, or you can choose not to go to church and serve God. You can choose to, you can choose to give or not to give. It's your life. I pray that my children will all give their life to Christ and serve Him as well as trusting Him as Savior. I'm praying they'll say, Lord, here's my life. I like what old Fanny Crosby wrote. She said, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. She didn't count her life dear unto herself. She said, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And when she wrote that verse, she stopped writing because she realized the verse was not true. She had silver and gold at home that she had not given to the Lord. In the form of jewelry, and so it was very valuable to her, sentimental value, because it belonged to some of her folks. Before she wrote the last verse of that consecration hymn, she went home and got all of her gold and silver and sold it and gave it to a mission society. And then went back and finished her song by writing, Take my will. If I can remember that last verse, somebody help me. And make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. But she didn't say that until she did what she'd written in the, next, the, the preceding verse about take my silver and my gold. You only have one life. I can say to my son, I hope you'll give your life to Christ. I hope you'll yield it to Christ. But I can't make him do it. I can't do it for him. Every person must make his own decision. Paul said, my life, I didn't count it dear to myself. I'm giving my life over to Christ. In 1961, I made a decision about something very important. I read Romans chapter 12 that day. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And I stopped. 
I said, I've read this a lot of times, but I've never done this. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. But I have never yielded myself to Christ. I've never given Him my body. And that day I said to the Lord, I said, you don't have very much. I don't have much to give you, but what I am, I give to you. From the crown of my head to the sole of my feet, you can have me. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll be anything you want me to be. I'll say anything you want me to say. The only thing that will keep me from doing it is you won't tell me what it is. In that case, it won't be my fault it'll be yours. And I meant that. And I can tell you whether or not you are yielded and surrendered. I can give you a one, one question test. And you answer it, yes or no. And I'll tell you whether or not you're yielded to Christ. If there's anything you would not do for Christ if you knew He wanted you to do it, you're not yielded and surrendered. That word anything is a big thing. Is it anything you wouldn't do for Christ? You say, but what if he asked me to go to Russia? Then don't you know he knows better than you do what you should do with your life? What if he wants me to go to Poland or someplace like that? I don't want to leave America. I love it here. What if he wants me to go to China or someplace like that? Well, if God wants you there, he knows what's best for your life. Trust him. If you can trust him with your soul, you can sure trust him with your life. My life, Paul said. That was the secret. He had given his life over to Christ. He didn't count it dear unto himself. He didn't care what happened to him. His life was given to Christ. Number two, that I might finish my course with joy. The idea of course reminds us of some athletic events. Paul was familiar with the, uh, with the, with the, uh, with the uh, games at, at Greece. Something like our Olympics. When you say my course, you're talking about a race. Does anybody ever watch the Olympics beside me? I know you'll think I'm worldly, but I, I'm, I like to watch sports. I, all of it, and anything. I, and I don't care what it is. If I saw two doodlebugs racing down the road, I'd stop and cheer for one of them. <laughs> I'm like Dr. Howe. Dr. Howe said that boxing is awful. said they beat each other up on the television and knock them unconscious and sometimes even kill them in the ring. He said the government ought to outlaw it. They should never have another boxing match as long as the world stands. But he said, until they do, I'm going to watch every single match I can. <laughs> Man, I'm about the same way. In fact, I am an athlete. I had athlete's feet one time. <laughs> now, Paul is giving the picture of a race. He said that I might finish my course. Did you, ever see, did you ever see racers or runners on a course? You know, it's all assigned their own little individual lane, about three feet wide, something like that. They all have their own little block. They have your own little lane. This is my lane. This is your lane. This is your lane. This is your lane. We all have our little lane to run in. I have my lane. You have your lane. And here's a race that nobody has to lose in. When you watch the Olympic race on television, everybody's going to lose except one person. Only one person can win. But here's a race with hundreds and millions and millions of people in it, and everybody can be a winner because we're not racing against each other. We're racing against God's will and God's purpose for our life. Are we doing what God wants us to do? I can win by doing what God wants me to do. You can win by doing what God wants you to do. And all of us can be winners. And I don't lose because you won. And you don't lose because I win. And I win by doing what God wants me to do in my life. Getting in my little lane and just staying there and staying there and staying there. Dr. Howell said to me after Dr. Rice passed away, a couple of years after Dr. Rice had been in heaven, he died in 1980, Dr. Howe said to me, I wouldn't have your job. He said, I'd rather follow Jesus Christ than John R. Rice. And he, he went on. I got in my car in that time in Indiana, and I drove down the highway, and I began to praise the Lord. 
And I said, I wouldn't have his job. If God wanted me in Hammond, he had to send me a singing telegram. I'm not sure I'd go then. Have you ever been to Hammond? Everything in Hammond sat. All the buildings looked like the crime. The doors all in. The only happy spot in Hammond is the First Baptist Church in a hamburger joint down the road from it. I mean, the, the, they, don't, they don't have any buildings going on. I mean, the place is dying and dying and dying. I wouldn't be there for nothing. I mean, I, I love where I am. I love the South. I'm sorry, but I love the South. I love grips. Not eating as I used to, but I love them. You know, I like doing what I'm doing. Somebody said, how do you feel trying to feel Dr. Rice's shoes? And I said, I'm not trying to feel Dr. Rice's shoes. Dr. Rice feel Dr. Rice's shoes. I'm trying to feel my shoes. I'm not trying to be Dr. Rice. Well, I'm glad to see you people here. Yeah. Pastor, I'm telling you, your folks are not two-faced, because if they had two-faced, they'd have wore the other night. Yeah. I'm not trying to be Dr. Rice. I'm trying to be me. Dr. Rice served his generation, and when God was through him, he called him home. And I'm serving my generation, and when God's through me, he called me home. But in the meantime, I found my course. That's what you do. If your course is, is whatever it is, just find it. Your church may not be the biggest church in the world, but it's the place God put you, then you'd be a good preacher and serve God there. It may not be the, be the nicest town in the world where you serve the Lord, but if God put you there, you say, this is my place where God put me, and I'm happy here, and I like it here. Andrew Carnegie said, you have heard it said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. But he said, I do say put all your eggs in one basket and mind that basket. Find your little basket. Find your will. Find your course. And serve God. Don't you see that? Here he, is. he said, neither count I my life dear to myself, that I might finish my course. My course. Whatever my course is, I feel right now I'm where God wants me. With joy. And then notice something else about his, about Paul in verse 24. And the ministry which is given me of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. His peculiar ministry. The thing that's peculiar to Paul was salvation by grace through faith. He, he didn't want you through with it there. You read Paul's writing. Galatians chapter 1, he said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him who calls you into the grace of God unto another gospel, which is not another. And then he went on to say, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach another gospel? Don't get shocked. Paul said, let him be a curse. The word is damned. Paul said, let him go to hell and burn forever. Let him be damned. If somebody comes along and preaches a gospel that's not salvation by grace through faith, Paul said, let him be a curse. If an angel comes down from heaven and preaches something other than salvation by grace, let him be a curse. Let him be damned. Let him go to hell, he said. That's pretty tough stuff. And yet, we let people reach all other kinds of gospels that are really not the gospel at all. Anything except salvation by grace through faith. And we accept. We all say, wait a minute, wait, it's not that way at all. It's salvation by grace through faith. It's not salvation at all. Romans 11, verse 6 says, If it's by grace, it is no more works, otherwise grace is no more grace. If it's works, it is no more grace, otherwise works is no more works. He's saying it can't be a mixture of works and grace. It can't be no mixture of works and grace. I say to this lady here, I'm going to give you this watch. It's yours free, totally a gift. All you is come and get it, so she comes and gets it. I say, but, but one condition. You've got to wash my car tomorrow. I just destroyed the gift. It's no longer a gift. It's now purchased. You can't mix no works at all with grace. None. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul said, And finish my ministry. What was your ministry, Paul? To testify of the gospel of the grace of God. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I'm going to tell you something. If I have to do anything at all to go to heaven, I won't make it. Bill Harvey's had a father who was uh, a member of another denomination, believing salvation by works. And Bill finally led his father to Christ after many, many years. You know how he did it? They was on the campus of a very famous school. And Bill was talking to his dad. He said, sometimes he said, Dad, let me ask you a question. He said, now you think you're saved by your good life, by your good works. Let me ask you a question. Be honest with me, Daddy. He said, do you think there's one day in your life, one day, as long as you to pick out any day you want to, is there one day in your life that you think you've lived good enough to deserve heaven? His daddy thought of him and began to cry. He said, no, Bill, I don't think so. He said, you don't have one day in your life like that. Then how are you going to go to heaven based on your whole life when you don't have one day you live going to deserve heaven? How are you going to get to heaven? His dad said, I just don't guess I'll make it, Bill. And Bill took the Bible showed him that man is saved by grace through faith that Jesus did it all. A little missionary led a little, little boy to Christ. He had had a religion that involved Christ and a lot of other things, too. She went back through the village a few days later, and the little boy was just smiling. And she said, Oh, son, said, your countenance has changed. Said, Something happened to you. What happened to you? And he said this, and I like this. He said, Miss Missionary, I always knew that Jesus Christ was necessary. But I didn't know until the other day that he was enough. Jesus is not just necessary. Jesus is enough. J-E-S-U-S, Jesus exactly suits us sinners. A man died in a cheap hotel room in Texas after squandering a fortune in search of peace and happiness. Before he died, he wrote a poem. I don't remember all the poem. I wish I did. I wish I'd written it down to share it with you. It was on the back of a little piece of tablet paper. It's scribbled in pencil. And it simply said, I've searched in vain a thousand ways. My fears to quell my hopes to raise. And all I need, the Bible says, is Jesus. Isn't that something? I've searched in vain a thousand ways. My fears to quell and my hopes to raise. And all I need, the Bible says, is Jesus. That's it. Here it is. Paul, what, what kept you in there? What, why didn't you move? Why didn't you give up when you went through all that stuff? First of all, I didn't count my life dear to myself. I had given my life to Christ. Number two... I had found my course, and I intended to finish my course with joy. If everybody else quits, I'm going to see the end of this thing. And number three, in my ministry, and what is your ministry? Mine is editing a paper. Yours is pastoring a church. And yours is teaching in a Christian school and singing meetings like this. And somebody else is my, my sister's ministry is teaching a Sunday school class at the church, a ladies' class. And everybody has their own particular ministry. But find what God wants you to do with your life and say, I'm giving my life to Christ. And I'm going to finish my course with joy in the ministry which the Lord gave me. Now, right now, I'm headed to the sword. I'm not going to say that I'm going to stay at the sword all my life. Curtis Collins here think I'm about to leave there. I'm not saying I'm leaving either. I'm just saying this. I'm not locking myself in. I'm available to do what God wants me to do. I'm not saying what I'll do. I may stay there till I die. I don't know. 
I may stay there after I die. Unless they drag me out, I probably will. My wife said, you'd be late for your own funeral. I said, I'm not going to somebody don't take me. But anyway. <laughs> but I found my course in my ministry, and it's what it is. For years, it was Forest Hills Baptist Church, 20-something years. For some little period of time, four or five years, President of Baptist University of America. And added to the sword of the Lord. This is my ministry. I didn't seek it. It came to me. I didn't ask Dr. Rice. He came to me and asked me to move there. This is my ministry. I'm happy with it. This is my course. And what's yours? Whatever it is, find it. Stick with it. And you can say when life is over, but none of these things move me. If I live, a, if I live to be 100 years old, and I'm, I'm trying to live to be 100, I've even prayed to to be 100. When I got sick, I told the Lord, you know, I've been praying to be 100. I said, I'm not ready to change that prayer yet. Of course, I'll renegotiate to 99, 98 maybe. I'm praying to be, if I die for 100, it'll shock me so bad to take my breath. Don't be moved. I wish we'd just say all together, sing that old song used to sing in the country church. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Thank it in Jehovah, I shall not be moved. And thank God for the Christians who just stay with it, 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 stay with it. Don't quit. Life's not easy. Your trials are coming. But do like Paul say. Now these things move. Let the tears come, let the trials come, let temptations come, let people attack me. I'm not moving. Staying with it. <laughs>